Let's do it. You ready? Arizona. Welcome to a Saturday night right here in Phoenix, Arizona. Arizona.fyi podcast. My name is Mark. Welcome back to another history episode. Today we're going to talk about Pearl Hart, Arizona's lady bandit. Crouched low in a creosote bush deep in a high desert canyon, Joe Boot contemplated his predicament. He was armed with a loaned pistol, preparing to step out and rob a stagecoach, to steal money and perhaps to kill if things went south. Thing was, Joe wasn't a hardened criminal. Joe's heart wasn't really in this. Joe had only come to Arizona from Chicago to make his fortune as a gold prospector. On the final leg of his journey out west, he had met up with a beautiful woman who had also spent time in Chicago and convinced her to follow him to his gold claim. Across the mountainous dirt stage road opposite Joe, the mastermind of the holdup lay in wait. At five feet one and barely over a hundred pounds, the outlaw Pearl Hart didn't command an imposing presence. Pearl Hart is just the opposite in appearance of what would be expected of a woman stage robber. She's a slender little brunette, less than five feet high, and weighing scarcely a hundred pounds. Blue eyes peering from beneath dark eyelashes. She confesses to being twenty-eight years old, but she looks much younger, except when, in anger or determination, the hard lines show about her mouth and eyes. An old soul, a street urchin, on the dirty Victorian industrial streets of Chicago, a petty thief by the age 14. A runaway hobo tramp. Pearl Hart got started early. Unfortunately, Joe's gold claim didn't work out. After several days with no color in their pans, Pearl grew restless. Pearl was no longer content to play house with a city boy turned prospector in the wilderness. And after a life of excitement and danger, Pearl wanted to go home to Canada. She began to hatch a plan to fund her next chapter. On May 29, 1899, to a resume already quite full with hobo tramp, boot black, street urchin, prostitute, opium dealer, morphine addict, madam, and petty thief, Pearl Hart was to add stagecoach robber. Fifteen years before, as a girl of 13, Pearl and her younger sister ran away from their Ontario, Canada home. Ending up in Chicago, the pair took to the streets, sleeping wherever they could, scrounging for meals and working as boot blacks and shoe shines. Pearl wore the clothes of the boy boot blacks, disguising herself to fit in with the crowd and make a little cash. The two girls existed on the streets of the city for several months, until one auspicious day when Pearl spied a pile of unsupervised watermelons. After concealing one of the watermelons and fleeing the scene, she was caught only a block away by the police. The Incognito sisters were remanded to a boarding school for wayward boys, whereupon their sex was immediately discovered and they were transferred to a girls' reform school. Their tenure at the academy was short-lived, however. Pearl was at this point becoming skilled at escaping captivity and pulled the classic tie-your-bedclothes-into-a-rope trick to allow them to escape their second-floor room. She then used her nightdress to help her sister climb over the wire-bound fence on the edge of the property. The sisters escaped into the night and procured suits of boys' clothing the next day. They hopped a train at Northwest out of Chicago to Helena, Montana, 
and eventually wound up in Victoria, British Columbia. They stayed there for a few months, eventually working their way back to Chicago via rail. By the time they returned to Chicago, Pearl's sister had fallen ill and had become homesick. As soon as she felt well enough to travel, Pearl took her back home to Canada. Pearl, now 16 years old, had become a seasoned tramp. She was a feisty daredevil and couldn't remain at home. Her parents didn't know what to do with her and came to the conclusion that unless restrained, their daughter would end up back on the road. To that end, they committed her to a boarding school near Montreal, where Pearl would be supposedly kept under watch and reformed. It was only four months before Pearl was again escaped. During her stay in Montreal, Pearl had met a man named Hart, and they struck up a relationship. Hart assisted in Pearl's escape, and the two eloped to Chicago, but it was only a short time before they began to quarrel. Hart became abusive, and after a fight one day, Pearl returned home to her mother in Ontario. Pearl and Hart reconciled, separated, reconciled, and separated many times over the next few years. During this time, Pearl had two children, a boy and a girl, whom she sent to live with their grandmother, who had since moved to Ohio. In 1893, Pearl and her husband found themselves working at the Chicago World's Fair. While her husband worked as a carnival barker, Pearl became enamored with the spectacle of cowboy life that was Buffalo Bill's Wild West. When the fair ended, Pearl's wanderlust and Hart's abusive nature led to her leaving, and Pearl hopped a train west to Trinidad, Colorado, in the company of a piano player whose name is generally given as Dan Bandman. Though she refers to him as Dan Borderman later when recounting how she met him in a boarding house. The names of Pearl's acquaintances are quite suspicious, and one could be forgiven to think that she pulled a trick like in the movie The Usual Suspects upon her interrogation, giving the men in her life made-up names using objects from the jailhouse and situations from her memory. This period of her life was described by Pearl thusly, I was only 22 years old. I was good-looking, desperate, discouraged, and ready for anything that might come. I do not care to dwell in this period of my life. It is sufficient to say I went from one city to another until sometime later I arrived in Phoenix. It's said that in Phoenix, she worked as a madam and a prostitute, a cook for the mining camps, a bartender, laundry worker, and saloon girl. She's rumored to have robbed her johns while working as a prostitute, to have been running a morphine and opium house and dealing fake prescriptions for such. She was generally living as freely as she pleased without regard to the law or her future. In the Chicago Inter-Ocean newspaper, in 1904, 1909, and reprinted as liberally as Pearl was infamous, the legend of this period was inflated again and again, as each new writer put their own spin on Pearl's story. In 1899, Pearl received a letter from her brother, in which she learned her mother was ill, and she needed money to pay the doctor. At this point, she left Phoenix for Mammoth, Arizona, northeast of Tucson on a cart, driven by two Mormon brothers. Here on the cart, Pearl was introduced to the brother's other passenger, Joe Boot, again a name of suspicious veracity. As fate would have it, Joe was from Chicago, striking out west to take over a gold claim he'd purchased. He and Pearl hit it off, and with the glint of gold in her eye, Pearl followed him to the claim. It was after a few weeks of hard labor, prospecting for gold in the Arizona desert with nothing to show for it, that Pearl grew restless. She needed the money to visit her mother in Ohio, so she said, and Joe's gold claim just wasn't panning out. Quote, Joe Boot, the man who freighted his goods over to Globe with me, told me he had a mining claim and offered to go out with me and try to dig enough metal to get a passage home to Canada. We went out on the claim and both worked night and day. It was useless. The claim was no good. 
I handled pick and shovel like a man and began wearing man's clothing while I was there. I never worked so hard in my life. When we found out there wasn't a sign of color in the claim, I was frantic. I wanted to see my mother. It was the only wish I had. Boot sympathized with me. He had no money, and he could not get any. He proposed that we rob the Globe stage. I protested. He said it was the only way to get the money. While Pearl maintained that the robbery was Boot's idea, it becomes increasingly clear that this wasn't quite the case. Pearl had introduced Joe to morphine abuse and her own special brand of manipulation. It's believed that Pearl suggested strongly to Joe that they should rob the stagecoach that served Globe, Arizona. Of course, in the way that men can lose their better judgment in the thrall of pretty women, Joe could do nothing but agree. So, crouched low in bushes astride a stage line deep in a high desert canyon, Joe and Pearl awaited their destiny. They leapt from cover as the globe stage rounded the bend, and they threatened the driver. The stage didn't have a shotgun messenger to defend it, as stage robberies were by this time rare. They encountered little resistance as they unloaded passengers and stripped them of $450. Pearl then gave each passenger back a single dollar so they could buy dinner upon returning to town and she and Joe beat a hasty retreat on their horses. Various reports disagree on whether the bandits were lost or were intentionally confusing their trail. They traveled at night, and Pearl would later recount feeling bad omens on one portion of their ride away from the scene of the crime. As they were descending the canyon walls towards the creek bottom, they began to hear chiding wails on the wind. Pearl began to feel uneasy, and her imagination ran wild. Perhaps it was the laughter of native ghosts at Pearl's misfortune in being lost. Perhaps it was the wails of wayward souls trapped in purgatory and escaping on the evening breeze, welcoming her to hell. It wasn't until they had descended to the creek bottom that they discovered the source of the ghostly noise were hundreds of Colorado River toads. A guilty conscience, they say, produces its own demons. And Pearl and Joe heard them loud and clear that night. According to her self-reported legend, during this flight she was surprised by a mountain lion, whom she shot and chased for two miles. Later Joe's horse fell into a river and both nearly drowned. They were accosted by the souls of the damned. Pearl got to live some of the romantic western stories she had heard from her time watching Buffalo Bill's Wild West. After a few days on the run in unfamiliar territory, the Pinal Sheriff's posse had caught up with the pair near Benson, which is close to the border of southeast of Tucson. From the Wilkes Bar, Pennsylvania newspaper, entitled, Girl Bandit Was Nervy. After a desperate flight for liberty, during which she tried to get the drop on the pursuing sheriff, Pearl Hart, the Lady Bandit, has been landed in county jail with her male accomplice, Joe H. Boot. The sheriff says the woman was a very tiger cat for nerve, while the man is a weak, morphine-depraised specimen of humanity, lacking both nerve and intelligence. The sheriff's posse happened upon the pair sleeping near a lit campfire. Pearl was awakened by gunfire and leapt to her feet, only to be staring down the barrels of two Winchester rifles. The sheriff would later note that Pearl 
let forth a stream of profanity that would wake the dead, while Joe Boot simply shrugged and accepted his fate. From the place of their capture, they were taken to Benson and then on to Florence. After Pearl's trial, she was transferred to the Tucson jail, since Florence had no facilities for women. The room that was to be her cell was only lath and plaster, and it didn't hold the slight Houdini for long. She escaped through the wall with the help of a fellow prisoner, Ed Hogan, and was recaptured near Deming, New Mexico, 12 days later. The Border Vedette newspaper from Nogales states Pearl, quote, is a morphine fiend, and upon the advice of her physician, the jail authorities have been authorized to provide her with a dose of the drug every morning and every evening. It was at the morning dosage her escape was discovered. The Cincinnati Inquirer, on 20 January 1900, romanticizes Hart's legend wildly in reporting the Tucson escape. It must have been some deft work to loosen the stones and mortar of that wall eight feet above the street and fully ten feet above the floor of the cell, which was sunk low to ground level. That all this work was done on the outside is evident from the fact that not a particle of mortar dust was found in the cell, nor had the meek-eyed prisoner been allowed any sharp instrument, not a penknife or a pair of sharp scissors with which she could have dug the mortar. It is now thought that she secured the aid of a former lover, Tim Pendleton, who was absent from his home in Tucson. Though he had never visited the girl in jail, it's believed that he had kept some kind of communication with her. The Tucson jail juts up directly on one side of a narrow street, without the precaution of a jail yard or an outer wall, as is usual with most prisons. A night guard is posted on the roof of the jail, upon which the sheriff depends to prevent the escape of prisoners as much as on the bars of the jail itself. Against such a combination of safeguards, it was a dangerous venture to rescue the young woman, but Arizona lovers are as desperate as devoted, and it was hardly to be expected that a nervy girl who would hold up a stage would have a lover any less daring than herself. The rescue which followed this attempt was more thrilling than any romantic elopement. Pearl Hart's escape was made at three o'clock in the morning, and it's thought that she was one of a pair of cowboys seen riding out of town shortly after that hour. It is not known positively that Pearl Hart had ever committed any other act of highwaymanry than the stage near Globe last May, but the reputation of that one bold act is enough to make all stage and railroad travelers in that region feel uneasy on hearing of her parting company with the sheriff at Tucson. Eventually, Pearl was recaptured and sent to trial. At the trial, her sob story about her mother's illness bought an acquittal from the jury. The judge, so furious at the acquittal for stage robbery, had Joe and Pearl rearrested for interference with U.S. mail, and Pearl and Joe were sentenced separately to Yuma prison. Pearl received five years, Joe, 30. Joe only served a few years at Yuma, becoming a prison trustee and eventually being allowed use of a wagon for work detail. He and a group of prisoners made a break for it. The lookouts turned a Gatling gun on the men, and though over a thousand rounds were fired, none hit Joe Boots. Pearl became a celebrity upon her arrival at Yuma Territorial Prison, giving press interviews and posing for photographs. During her time at Tucson, she had been given a bobcat cub by a fan, and was photographed with it for Cosmopolitan magazine. This attention continued at Yuma, where the warden assigned her to a cell that included a small yard where she could entertain the press and pose for photographs. Hart spared no time in using her status as the only female in a men's prison to win favors and special treatment. In 1902, she received a pardon from Territorial Governor Brody on the condition that she leave the territory and never return. Publicly, Hart claims she was needed in Kansas City to play her part in a play that was put on by her sister about her life of crime. It was rumored in the 1960s that Hart had become pregnant while in prison at Yuma in a manner which would embarrass the prison, and that may have led to her pardon. 
However, Hart never had a third child, so whether or not this was truthful or was a ploy to get out of the prison is disputed. Regardless, Hart ended up in Kansas City, Missouri, as Mrs. L.P. Keel, where she was again arrested for receiving stolen goods in a cigar store she managed. She was acquitted and faded from the public eye. Hart's later life fell into legend and memory, and much like Elvis, stories would from time to time crop up of people finding her alive and well after her reported death. Gila County lore has it that she moved back to Globe and lived into the late 1950s. Others say she married a rancher at Dripping Springs near Winkleman, under the name Pearl Bywater. However Pearl's story actually ended, she made her mark as one of Arizona's most notable celebrity bandits, and started the celebrity prisoner trend, of which Eva Dugan, Winnie Ruth Judd, Casey Anthony, and Jody Arias are but a few. Well, thanks for listening to this episode of Arizona.FYI. Feel free to send mail to mail at arizona.fyi if you'd like to suggest stories, make a comment, or corrections, or otherwise just drop us a line. That'll just about do it for this week. So thanks again for listening. And remember, while you're out there exploring our state, don't forget to bring us along.